Well, good afternoon, everyone. How nice to see you. <clears throat> I'd like to extend uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Meredith and also Mr. Ames for asking me to speak here today and uh, to share some things with you. I thought I should uh, just mention a few things that have been happening in the, um, you might say, the area of Europe. Uh, certainly the... Uh, <clears throat> The conference that we just held in, in North Wales uh, that was referred to in the announcements, uh, Dr. Winnell, uh, Dr. and Mrs. Winnell were able to be there uh, with us and, uh, you know, just be involved with the, uh, the people that we had there. It was uh, also an opportunity for this, this time for uh, uh, some of our French ministers to come across, uh, Monsieur Lecoq uh, from Switzerland and uh, Monsieur Lardet uh, also from uh, France, and uh, his son, uh, Vincent Guillaume, who is uh, called uh, VG, or VG, uh, Lardet, uh, came along and he helped translate uh, from the English into French, and also uh, Mrs. Lecoq uh, was able to translate uh, from uh, English to French. So it was the first, what I might call, uh, uh, international conference that we've had in the, in the UK uh, so far, we've often had, uh, of course, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, Frank Peters, Franz Peters, and his wife from Holland. Uh, but it was uh, a very, very enjoyable uh, series of meetings that we had, uh, and we were able to do the annual general meeting, which we, of course, uh, uh, are required to do uh, under British law and uh, and also under Irish law. So we were able to take care of those things. So. All in all, uh, everyone really uh, participated and contributed and uh, appreciated uh, what we were able to, to cover during that period of time. I should also mention to you that uh, uh, my wife and I are going to be moving house. Uh, we've been in England for three years. I know that seems like it's gone quickly. It certainly has for us. Uh, but we've been uh, living in a, 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 what, what a lot of Americans would call a quaint cottage. <clears throat> you don't use the quaint word quaint with English people. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it is a particular... The house we've been in has been really lovely. It's, uh, it was built in 1697 and uh, has a thatched roof. And out the back it has a, a conservatory, which is like a sunroom, and that's our office. So it's been very, very small, and uh, we've been able to uh, find another house uh, near Northampton uh, which will serve our uh, needs a lot better. Um, also, we're very, very grateful to have uh, Mr. and Mrs. Rick Stafford coming to help us. Uh, as you, some of you might know, Mrs. Stafford, uh, Elizabeth, was actually born in London. So that's why she has that funny accent. <laughs> now, she's in some ways going to be coming home. Uh, and, of course, Rick Stafford spent four years in New Zealand. So he understands the British way of life, uh, having lived in New Zealand, and uh, will be able to drive on the wrong side of the road. Um, I know I have to say it's the wrong side, just for your benefit, but when we're there, it's not only the left side, but the right side. <laughs> and if you think it's the wrong side, just try and go there and drive and see how far you go. <laughs> <laughs> which was interesting. Yesterday afternoon I was, uh, <laughs> I was driving and just momentarily 
I went on the left-hand side. And a car came the other way, and he looked at me, and I pulled over to the side and said... (laughs) (laughs) Awfully sorry. (laughs) Now, we didn't collide, but it was a wake-up call. Uh, because, you know, it just is in your mind. It's so hard when you just come across, and if any of you go to Britain or to Australia or New Zealand or South Africa or Japan or Indonesia or to uh, Thailand, uh, you'll need to drive on the left-hand side of the road. Nearly 60 countries drive on the left-hand side of the road. So in case you thought that it was just the Brits, (laughs) it's others as well. But anyway, enough of that. So we've certainly had a very uh, uh, profitable time in the UK. Uh, New members coming to join us. Uh, Some of them are brand new from the telecast, but we've had an influx of nearly 50 people in the last four or five months uh, from one of the other uh, church uh, groups uh, in the United Kingdom. And, uh, you know, it certainly has been a... Uh, an interesting situation to have that uh, occurring. The official population of the world, uh, as of 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon, Greenwich Mean Time, was 6,780,008,636, give or take 3 million. (laughs) No, no, that's there. There is an organisation that has... Uh, if you, you just want to Google it sometime, all you do is you just Google there and you put in world population current or today, and it will just come right up with a population clock and will tell you how many people there are on the earth at this time. Did you know that God knows every one of those people? He has the number of hairs on their head counted. He knows the genetic makeup of every one of them. He is aware of their personality, their proclivities. He's aware of absolutely every detail of 6,780,008,636 people. So you can see that God certainly is interested in what's happening on this earth. In fact, I just... uh, made a telecast uh, this, this Thursday morning entitled, What on Earth is God Doing? What is he doing? He's preparing a people for rulership in the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. And in Mr. Uh, Dr. Meredith's latest uh, co-worker letter, which you should ha- have received or will receive very soon, He says, very few people on this earth have any specific idea as to why they are alive. Most of us just grew up having a somewhat vague idea about some kind of God out there in space. Perhaps he seemed to be like a stern dictator who would like to punish evil men and women. On the other hand, many have been influenced to think of God as a fuzzy old father figure who loves everyone and wants everyone to be happy. Well, of course, the fact of the matter is that God is very interested and has a plan. He hasn't just created us and then gone off and left us to our own devices. The great God in heaven has a plan for mankind. And you and I have a plan to be a part of that and, in fact, a very special part of it if we are to be amongst the first fruits. 
if we will be in the first resurrection. That's our plan, to be a part of God's plan. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have any other plan that's different to God's plan. I don't want to do what I just want to do because it suits me. I want to be a part of a plan where it's in harmony with God's plan. And that's what we're going to be talking about here this afternoon. As I said, God has the very number of the hairs on our head um, numbered, even for those men who keep trying to shave them all off. He still knows how many hairs would be there. He knows the follicles, men. And so we can see that as we prepare for God's kingdom, we need to keep in mind a scripture that's given to us in Acts chapter 17. So let's turn to Acts chapter 17. And verse 24. Acts 17, you remember the story how Paul was uh, preaching at Mars Hill in Athens. And uh, so it was that <clears throat> he spoke to them, uh, these uh, philosophers and, uh, and people who wanted to know some new thing. In Acts 17, verse 24, he said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood. I think I've mentioned this before, but you know, there isn't you know, type A, type B, uh, type O, or AB, and it's specific to any you know, racial grouping. You can have Africans with type A, you can have Africans with type O, and you can have Asians with type O. We're all made of the same blood, and God wants us to respect that important principle. <clears throat> God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't say, well, I only just like the, you know, the white people, or I only just like black people. God loves all of mankind and has a great respect for the potential of every human being. So he's not a respecter of persons. We're told that. But he does reserve the right to work with each nation as he wishes. That's his prerogative, is it not? If God wants to work with the Chinese at this particular time as they rise to economic power and greatness, is that God's purpose and will? Are we to argue with our Creator if He plans to do that? We cannot. If He plans to bring America and Great Britain and the English-speaking peoples down at this time because of our sins, can we argue with God? Of course we can't. The times of the Gentiles are coming. We know that. And so we can be grateful and thankful for what we've been through, what God has given to us, but we need to understand that God is the one who rules in the kingdoms of men, not men. You know, we just need to realize that he is in charge, that he works things out, and people might have schemes and plots and plans and, and ideas, but it is God who is the one that brings things to pass. He was the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. 
He is the one who spared Nineveh when they repented. He is the one who, when Nebuchadnezzar got too full of himself, deactivated the spirit in man, and he was like walked around, got around on his, you know, uh, hands and knees for seven years, and was not able to communicate. So God is the one who acts on the broad, broad international scale. He operates at the national level, the U.S. level, or the South African level. In fact, that's really interesting. Uh, Jacob Zuma uh, was elected the, uh, the fourth president of South Africa uh, just on the 9th of May uh, after the ANC was voted in once again at the end of April. I happened to be in South Africa it was really quite an interesting thing. I didn't know that they were having their national elections in South Africa. And I was sitting in, a, in an airport in uh, Johannesburg on a flight to Durban. And uh, the lady beside me, uh, uh, was, um, she looked like she was well-dressed. And, and, and I said, well, how do you think the elections are going to go? Oh, she said, they'll go well. I said, that's good. I said, do you think uh, Jacob Zuma will be uh, the next president? She said, who are you? I said, well, actually, I happen to be the editor of a, a, a magazine, a European edit, editor for a, a magazine. Oh, she said, really? And all of a sudden, she brightened up because she thought she might get quoted. <laughs> well, she said, he's my ANC president, and he's going to be my next South African president. Well, I said, it sounds like you're very enthusiastic for Mr. Zuma. I thought that's all the comment I could pass, <laughs> just an observation. Yeah, I certainly am. And that was the way it went. Uh, Jacob Zuma is now the new South African president. Now, did he get in there through the elections? He got in there because God allowed him to. Because there's a purpose for him being the president of South Africa. Uh, Mr. Gordon Brown is the prime minister of the United Kingdom at this time. He might not be the prime minister next year. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just saying he will be there if God allows him, and he will be not there if God does not want him there. So we need to understand that it is God who orders the affairs of men. And I say the point again, does that not encourage us to put our personal lives in the hands of the creator God so that when events occur and happen to the rest of our countries around us, we can be there ready to do God's will and to be able to support the work that he is doing at this time. So today we're going to follow the fascinating story of a relationship, though at times fraught with problems, that will have a happy outcome. It is the story of God and Israel in ages past, at this time now, and in God's kingdom. It has to do with you and me because we are going to be key players in a role of successfully bringing about the outcome of this relationship. <clears throat> you know, every time that Dr. Meredith and Mr. Ames and the other presenters speak on the, <clears throat> the television program about the identity of Israel... We are doing an important work. We are fulfilling the Ezekiel 33 
uh, <clears throat> warning message to this world. And so you and I, in our support, our prayers, our financial support, and here, you know, there are men and, and women who were involved right there at the, at the television studio or in the editorial department or doing the work of, of writing articles. Uh, you know, um, Mr. Amon with the uh, personal correspondence. All of us are a part of a wonderful team that are having the opportunity to preach the gospel. So let's start in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I love, I love coming to Charlotte. They don't have warmed a tea for me in London. Thank you, Dr. Meredith, for this is a great, great idea you had. <laughs> hmm. Let me see. A little of Sam, I think. A little bit of orange pico. Yes, probably. Hmm. I'm talking about tea varieties, of course. <laughs> okay, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. But look at this last part of the promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And the, the families of the earth have benefited in the last 200 years from the great wealth that was given to the United States and Great Britain. How did Japan, after the Second World, well, World War, become so wealthy? Well, they sent Toyota cars here. And they sent Japanese VCRs. You know, they made their money off the back of the United States. How did Germany become powerful after the Second World War? Well, the United States sent the money in the form of the Marshall Plan. You know, the blessings of Israel have been shared around the world. Now, I might... Not perfectly, we know and understand that. So this particular prophecy that was made and given to, uh, to Abram was the most important beginning blessing prophecy that we have in the Bible. All other promises are built on this, the ones that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, part of the great blessing is that Jesus Christ was descended from Abraham, right? Right? And he is, his great gift of his sacrifice came through that line of Abraham. So you can see how important this, this blessing is. Now, the fundamental success of the promises that were given to Abraham were based on his obedience and his belief. Abraham obeyed and believed, and it says it was accounted to him as righteousness. Isaac and Jacob also believed. 
we too must believe that God's promises are sure. And I'd just like to ask you all this question right at this time. If God blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the sons of Joseph, can he bless you personally, individually? Absolutely. You and I are called upon by God to have the same faith, the same trust, and the same belief and obedience that Father Abraham had. Notice what it said there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Verse 4. So I, Abram, uh, Abram, that should be, so Abram argued with God, said that he really liked it there, and, you know, he, would, he said that he would uh, go next year when, uh, after his, uh, uh, you know, fourth child was born or what? what no, well, he didn't have, didn't have any children then, did he? <laughs> Almost caught me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Obedience. You know what I have worked out in life? There are key moments in your life. Your life can be going along as smooth as anything, no ripples, no problems. And then at a particular point, a, uh, a challenge, an opportunity, a request is put before you. Hesitate, an opportunity has, has gone. You think about it. How many times were you offered a, a, a new job somewhere and you thought, well, I can't do it. And later you find, you find out that if you had have taken that job, doors would have opened to you. And you think, ah, I miss that. You know, it's the same thing in our Christian life. God brings opportunities, challenges, responsibilities, and oftentimes they come in the form of tests and trials and crises. But I have learned that opportunity only knocks once. And if, you, if you're ready, if you are spiritually attuned with God, you will see the opportunity for what it is and you will take it. And you will then find that God can work with you, bless you. And quite often, so many people go through a test and a trial and just when it's about to end, they make a decision to do something or go somewhere else or, or whatever it might be. I remember what that was like. <laughs> Not as a father, as the little one. <laughs> no, those things happen to us all. You know what? We'd all like our children to be perfect. I've noticed it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> so anyway, Abraham was offered these opportunities and he took them. So the fundamental success of the promises, as I said, is belief and obedience. And that's the legacy that Abraham, who later became Abraham, that he left to us. You know, when you think about it, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, 
were given the greatest opportunities and they as father, son and grandson took those opportunities. And they're going to be in the, in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus Christ speaks to, and he says, when Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are in the kingdom, their, their position in the kingdom is secure and sealed. No one else can take their position. But did you know that there is a position that is specifically being designed for you right now? And you know, you probably don't realize it. You have more of a say in what your reward is going to be than what you realize. At the moment, God has a reward for you in the kingdom according to what you have been responding to in your Christian life. And so as a result, as you respond, then God makes an entry in the book of life. Overcame his problem with dot, dot, dot. She has grown in outgoing concern and has had several people over for dinner in the last month. <laughs> so we can see then that the truth about the identity of Israel and that what we understand and, and realize is a precious piece of understanding and truth. In fact, I noticed when we... Uh, made the move, as we, most of us did here in the room, uh, in the early to mid-90s, what, what was one of the major issues that we were criticized for, that we continued to believe in the identity of the British and American people. There were so many people that you might have even met, and you said, well, don't you realize what's being done? They're, they're doing away with the identity of, of modern-day Israel. And maybe someone said something like this to you. Oh, I never believed that any stuff anyway. Ah. Well, can I say to you, if you haven't really, really proved that we are the peoples of modern-day Israel, then I would like you to request this booklet. <laughs> Call the number on the screen. <laughs> The United States and Great Britain in prophecy. You know, I mean that. If you haven't read it, let's make sure that we do. You know, there are plenty of copies here. But, you know, I, uh, I must admit that when I first read it, it was the first booklet that we received in our house in 1961. And it was absolutely fascinating. But even though I believed it, over the last 30 or 40 years... I have done a lot of my own personal research. I have gone to find out more and more information on this vitally important subject and key to understanding prophecy. And so I would encourage you. You know, you had some encouragement from Dr. Monell in the sermonette. Well, I'm going to exhort you to study and read our, our booklet on the subject on the United States and Great Britain in prophecy. You'd be glad you did. <laughs> They're the sort of things we say on the telecast. But, you know, don't think just because you are in the church that you understand deeply the things that we teach and believe. And I think it's important for us to sometimes go back and do some revision, go back and, and, uh, and make notes. Um, I, I remember one time a man came to me in, in Melbourne, Australia, and he said, Mr. King, he said... Uh, 
what is there that I can, my wife and I can do uh, to grow in understanding in God's church? Well, I said, why don't you take a booklet, go through and, and summarize each chapter and write down three scriptures from each chapter that uphold and give the basic understanding and proof on that particular book to, booklet. And so he did that. In fact, he went further. I suggested to him that he make little flashcards, little cards about this size, where you write the actual scripture out. You know, uh, uh, God will do nothing except he reveals it to his servants, the prophets, prophets and on the other side, Amos chapter th uh, 3, verse 7. So you actually have on one side the actual scripture written out, and on the other side the actual, you know, book, chapter, and verse. And then he did that, and with his wife, they, they quizzed each other. Now, do you know what's happened? He was ordained an elder and sent to Sydney to become the pastor of the Sydney church. Because his attitude was one of wanting to grow in understanding. Now, he'd been in the church for 20 years already, but he had grasped that point that there needed to be a deepening of his spiritual conversion and conviction and commitment. And that's all he asked me. I, it was very easy to give the answer. It was a lot harder to implement it. But that's what he and his wife did. And so we should be doing the same thing. I'm sure that you've heard people say, Oh, ancient Israel cannot still exist. They must have been so intermixed with other people that they are truly now just the lost ten tribes, forever lost. Well, let's read what God has to say. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. And here in uh, <clears throat> verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day. Uh, have you noticed that the sun's been out today? Okay, it's been... It's been hidden by clouds, but you know it's out because everything's in bright sun, you know, it's, is, is in light. Nighttime, it'll be gone. It says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. It says in verse 36, if these ordinances, that is the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night and the sun, if the, those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Do you know what that means? Every day when you get up and there's bright sunshine or cloudy, a cloudy day, but it's light, you know that Israel exists for that day. That's what it says. Did you read it? It says, if those ordinances depart, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. Can anyone measure the heavens? No. And as a result, God is keeping the people of Israel and their identity absolutely clear in his mind. Do you remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon? God has the number of hairs on our head numbered. 
He knows everything about us. He knows where Israel is at this time. And so we can have confidence. I can just imagine in the world tomorrow, scholars and history professors will have to come before God and say, we got it wrong. We didn't listen. We laughed at your servants. But now we admit that they were right. So you can have confidence and believe that what we understand in God's church, and you tell me how many other people really understand it in this world. Very, very few. There are little groups here and there that understand the identity of Israel. But there's no one that preaches it like we do. No one. And that's why we will not stop doing that, but we will continue to warn the nations that we are responsible for. Well, we're not responsible for them. God is responsible for them. But you know what I'm saying? The, the warning message we are responsible for, and we will continue to do that. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 6. You know, a lot of people have said, well, no, no, no. After the children of Israel went into captivity up there with the Assyrians, uh, then, you know, historians lose all track of them. You know why they lose all track of them? They moved. <laughs> they just simply moved. People say, you can read about the Assyrians up until this date, and then they disappear. Yes, and if you go to the German uh, museum in Berlin, you can see where they reappear. I had the opportunity in January this year to go to the Berlin History, German History Museum. And what do they start talking about? They start talking about the German people arriving at the very time that you find they left Mesopotamia. And I have a wonderful book that I purchased by... Um, uh, I'm just trying to... The name will come to me. But this gentleman was writing about Germany, Germany and he said... When, when the Germans arrived, there was another people traveling right along beside them who were of a different race, but they had traveled together into Europe. That was Assyria and Israel. It's really fascinating. Um, Bering Gould, is it Bering Gould, the fellow who wrote Onward Christian Soldiers? He also uh, wrote some histories, and this was... Uh, this is one of the books that I've purchased recently in a, in a dingy, dark Cambridge uh, antiquarian bookstore. It's great to be in England, <laughs> where I can get a hold of really good old books. <clears throat> so we can see here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, we'll start in verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And once again, you expect verse 7 to say, So the disciples said unto him, Oh, but master, the twelve tribes, the ten tribes of the house of Israel have disappeared. <laughs> no, they knew where they were. And it's interesting, when you read about where the apostles went after the death of Jesus Christ, where did they go? 
Well, St. Andrew went to Scotland. St. James went to Spain. And others went to even northern India. I think it was uh, Bartholomew. Was it Bartholomew? Uh, one of them <clears throat> went to, uh, to northern India. And they went all over the, the place where the children of Israel were. Let's have a look at another scripture. This is one is in James chapter 1. <clears throat> Just showing how James fulfilled what Jesus Christ had said to him. James chapter 1 verse 1. This whole book of James is written to an audience. Notice what it says. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. There it is. The book of James, James knew where they were. This was sent as a letter to all the different places where the tribes of Israel were scattered abroad. So, if the children of Israel, the ten tribes were lost and had disappeared, pray tell me, how is it that Jesus Christ and James, 2,000 years ago, knew exactly where they were? So this whole idea that theologians and historians love to, to peddle around, that Israel just had disappeared and gone, here we have... 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ and James the Apostle knowing exactly where they were. Now let me read to you from the Antiquities of the Jews, uh, a book written by Josephus at the end of the first century AD. This, if, you, if any of you would like to check up and see whether I'm telling the truth, I'll give you the actual reference. It's in Antiquities of the Jews... It's in book 11, in chapter 5, and section 2. That's how specific it is. And what's, it's, it's recounting the story of how Ezra was sent back by, uh, by the Persians to reestablish and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so we'll, I'll read this particular section. Uh, says Ezra read the epistle at Babylon to those Jews that were there, but he kept the epistle itself and sent a copy of it to all those of his own nation that were in Media. And when these Jews had understood what piety the king had towards God and what kindness he had for Ezra, they were all greatly pleased. Nay, many of them took their effects with them and came to Babylon as very desirous of going down to Jerusalem. Listen to this now. But then the entire body of the people of Israel remained in that country. Okay? That's where they were, in the Mesopotamian region. Wherefore, there are but two tribes in Asia and Europe. Joseph, Josephus writing in his current voice. This is a, a parenthetical statement. He says, wherefore, there are but two tribes in Asia and Europe subject to the Romans while the ten tribes are beyond the river Euphrates till now. This is 100 AD, or 90, or 80, or 90 AD. And are an immense multitude, and not to be estimated by numbers. So Josephus is saying, 
he's just writing it naturally. He says, well, of course, you know that the Israelites, the ten so-called lost tribes, are not lost. They are there in that region of, region of Mesopotamia. Now, what is interesting, when you look at the history, a vast number of the, of the Israelites uh, that had been in that region then moved along with other peoples northward around the Black Sea, either, either way, around the Black Sea, and then traveled north up the Danube River, right up into modern-day Germany. The Germans settled in the Upper Rhine Valley, and the Israelites settled on the coastlands. So you had the Scandinavians, you then had the, uh, the Dutch and the Belgians, namely the Frisians and uh, those people, and then you had the northern French, Reuben, uh, settling in that part of the, uh, of the north coast of France and inland down as far as Paris. You also then had another group settling further west in Normandy. What does the word Normandy mean? That's the place where the Normans live. And where do the, what does the word Norman mean? North man. And these were the Vikings who had come down and settled in that part of, of France and, and became the Normans who later were to invade England in 1066 under William the Conqueror. And so they moved into England and they mixed in then with their Ephraimitish cousins, the Angles and the Saxons, to establish within the United Kingdom certainly in England, that body of people that are Ephraimites. Then you also had, right in the very far west of France, the people of Brittany, the Bretons. And they are cousins to the Welsh and the Irish and some of the Scots. So you can see how God moved all of those peoples into those regions over a period of time. There were successive waves of migration. Not only did you get the Israelites moving up into northwestern Europe via the, the Danube and the Rhine rivers, but you had another group of Israelites who had made the, trans, the, uh, the, um, the migration by sea through the Mediterranean, had settled in Spain. Why is Spain called the Iberian Peninsula? Well, because the Hebrews were there. The Iberians got their name from the Hebrews. Then they moved out of Spain over a long period of time up into Ireland and into Scotland. And what is the, what are the, what's the name of the, the set of islands on the west coast of Scotland? The Hebrides. The inner and the outer Hebrides from Hebrews. Now, it's so easy to follow it. It's just like, you know, following a map. Like if you want to get from here across to Washington State, you just take, take a map and you, you, you go along and, and take the roads. Well, they didn't have roads in those days. They, they had rivers and they had seas and oceans. And that's how they moved and settled those parts of the countries. Now, you and I need to be confident and never, ever 
Feel apologetic for what you believe when it comes to the identity of Israel. Do not be apologetic. Understand and, and realize that it is God who said that Israel would exist. So why do you and I think that we should doubt God and say, oh, well, I'm not too sure about that? Because we can be sure. All we then have to do, once we know that Israel will be existing in the, in the end times. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 19. You know, the, the, the disciples were, were very, very competitive and uh, were always trying to, to see what uh, high position they could have. Um, we're going to pick up the story in Matthew 19, verse 26. It says, But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all. You know, I've, I've left my fishing business, and I've followed, we've followed you. He says, We have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? <laughs> what's in it for us, Christ? What, you know, what's, what's our reward? And he gives the answer very clearly in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, can you just imagine the scene? Jesus Christ returns. He establishes the government of God on earth. And the twelve apostles come to him and say, Well, we're waiting. And he says, What for? Well, we, we want to rule the 12 tribes of Israel. Which, which one am I going to have? Oh, I'm sorry about that. We lost the 12 tribes. <laughs> they disappeared. Oh, but I tell you what, if you go out, you might find a few out the back. <laughs> no. Jesus Christ will return. He will know where the 12 tribes are. He will have brought them back from all over the earth. To Jerusalem, and he's going to be able to say, Peter, you got the Manassites. Oh, not them, he says. <laughs> I wanted Ephraim. Well, everyone does, of course. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, Bartholomew, or let me see, uh, uh, one of the Jameses will get Gad. You'll think, oh, I would have wanted another one. No, I don't think they'll, they'll think that. They'll be glad. They'll be glad to, to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. So can you see how foolish this business is when people say to you, do you believe in that modern-day Israel stuff, that Armstrongism? Do you believe in that British Israelism? And you go, oh, well, um, well, I think I do, you know, I'm... I sort of do, yes. Don't. Be certain. Be sure. And understand and realize that the people of Israel can be identified. I'm going to take some time here now to go to Genesis 49. This is, happens to be my favorite Israel scripture. <laughs> because it's, it's like we've read so far. 
Jesus Christ knew where the disciples would be, uh, sorry, the tribes of Israel would be. And uh, certainly when Jacob himself, Israel, in Genesis 49 verse 1, was talking to his sons, it says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. He didn't say to them, let me tell you what's going to happen to your boys or your grandsons or about three or four generations. He said, let me tell you what shall befall you in the last days. At the end of the age, right just before Jesus Christ returns, let me tell you what's going to happen. And then he says, um, Reuben, verse 3, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. The French people are the masters of diplomacy and the masters of, of pomp and ceremony and being able to, to uh, present things in a beautiful way. I think a lot of you might have already been to Paris and you've gone out to the uh, Palace of Versailles and seen the glorious work that was done for the Sun King, Louis the Fourteenth, and how the French were, were wonderful and noble until the British came along. <laughs> Mr. Apartian has... I have his attention. <laughs> he'll, he'll talk to me afterwards. I know he will. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Then it says of Judah... Judah is a lion's whelp from the, from the prey, my son. Verse 9, this is. Uh, actually, verse 8, we should read. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Did you see that word praise? Let me tell you an interesting story about the children of Israel. The children of Israel were from a family of real difficulty and trouble. And why was that? Do you remember the story of how Jacob's mother tricked her husband Isaac into giving the birthright to her favorite boy Jacob at the expense of Esau. And you remember how Esau was jealous and was envious then of his brother. But God was watching. God believes that what you do unto others will be done unto you. He believes in what we call the law of reciprocity. If you want people to love you, then you show love to them. You uh, treat people a certain way, they will treat you. You'll be treated the same way. Maybe not by the same person. And so this is what happened here with Jacob. He was a part of his mother's tricky plan to get the birthright blessing, which was ridiculous because God had already promised it to him anyway. But she thought she would take matters into her own hands. And so then... When Jacob went and looked for a wife, what happened? Well, he worked for his future father-in-law for seven years for this beautiful young girl, Rachel. But Rachel's older sister, Leah, was not quite as attractive. And guys, you know what it's like. We're suckers when it comes to that. We fall for the good-looking girls when we don't always realize that the more plain girls sometimes would be a better wife and would be a far better companion 
you know, but it's hard to tell a 24, 25-year-old guy that. Now, you can sometimes get the advantage of a, a very pretty girl and also a very good wife. That's, that's a good deal. <laughs> but I've got to be very careful. Notice that? <laughs> Do you think I got through that all right? Ooh. Pretty much. <laughs> but anyway, what happened, of course, was that here was this, you know, this scheming Jacob and his mum, and then he goes off and his uncle Laban, he plays a trick on him. You know, to, to those who are tricky, things will get tricky. <laughs> and that's what happened to Jacob at that time. And so he, of course, ended up with Leah as his wife, Rachel he had to work another seven years for. Uh, he was able to marry her, but he had to work for his father-in-law another seven years. And so then when you go through the stories of the children that were born to, the, to Jacob, you know, in one case, uh, we just read here in, in Judah, uh, verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Do you know what the word Judah means? Praise. It's a play on words. And when his mother uh, gave birth or became pregnant, and as she had this son, she said, I'll call him Judah because I will have the praise of my husband. Another one was when Levi was born. She said, now I will be joined to my husband. So what does the word Levi mean? Joined. Do you know that in all of those stories which you go through in Genesis chapter 29, 30, right the way through, the story is pretty, pretty sad. Sisters squabbling with one another, one saying, well, you go and sleep with my concubine or my, my handmaid tonight uh, because I can't have children. Uh, and so we end up with 12 boys that are born, all given names, that represent how their mothers felt about their relationship with the father. It's not what you would call a really stable family relationship. And yet God took that situation and turned it into a positive situation. What am I talking about? God took Levi, which means joined, and he used Levi for the priesthood. To do what? To join God to Israel. To bring God and Israel together. He took Judah, whose name means praise, and from the loins of Judah came whom? Jesus Christ. Can you see? God is always able to turn things around. So if you've got marriage or family problems... If you pray to God, he can turn your situation around. If you put your life and your family into God's hands, where you might have had envy and jealousy, like there was between Esau and Jacob, like there was between Rachel and Leah, like there was between Joseph and his brothers, you know, family differences can be resolved if you put it in God's hands. So the story of Israel, though it has some rather, sort of you might say, uh, bad, bad sides to it, it all comes out well in the end. Do you remember the story of their sister Dinah, who went out 
into the surrounding neighborhood to talk with some of the, the young girls from the neighboring peoples. And one of the princes of the neighboring tribes saw Dinah and thought, she's a pretty good-looking girl, and did some things that were not appropriate. And as a result, two of her brothers, Levi and Simeon, ended up murdering this man. And that's why we read here in Genesis chapter 49, verse 5. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united. Hear that? See that word united? Goes with Levi. <laughs> Let, them not, let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And we have always understood or believed that Simeon and Levi have been scattered. Some of the Levites, of course, are with Judah. Anyone with the name Cohen, C-O-N. H-E-N, is a Kohathite of the priesthood. And it's interesting, most people think that all the Kohens are with Judah. You know, uh, you also have some other derivations of the name. K-U-H-N, Kuhn, is from Cohen. But do you know what? I've done a little study in Scotland and come across a whole lot of names that are derived from Cohen. There's Colquhoun, there's McCowan, McKern. There is uh, there's about ten names that I you can see how the the Cohen name is been woven into the Scottish names. Uh, you 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 will quite often be in in Germany and you will see names that have this C H N. Uh, set of consonants uh, in, in certain names. So Levi uh, was scattered uh, amongst the, the, um, the Israelites. Simeon, who was a warlike people and a violent people, have found themselves in places like Scotland. You know, the Scottish regiments have been some of the most feared regiments throughout modern history you know many in the first world war the second world war when the scots came with their scroll uh, you know their bagpipes and and everyone <laughs> the enemy just disappeared because the the black watch the seaforth highlanders the scottish regiments were fearless fighters and so simeonites and levites are scattered amongst israel and so you can see how God takes what are weaknesses of Israel and turns them into strengths. But you wait till the kingdom of God. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at some scriptures here that are indeed very exciting. Um, you know, just before we, we get there, I, I was talking with Dr. Winnell last night. He made an interesting point. He said, someone in the Caribbean said to him, 
You know, he, every time we give sermons and we talk about the, uh, the identity of Israel, we sometimes neglect some of the descendants of Israel who are in places like the Caribbean where there was some intermarriage or inter-whatever <laughs> you call it between the British and the Dutch and the French in the Caribbean. So that m some people in the Caribbean, they might look quite dark, but they can trace their lineage back to uh, a Frenchman, maybe a, uh, a great-grandfather or a grandfather or grandmother that was uh, from a different or one of the tribes of Israel. And I said, that's absolutely right. And I said, it doesn't even, ex it's not just the Caribbean. You know, in Sri Lanka, there is a, uh, a group of people who are distinctly identified in, the in Sri Lanka who are known as Burgers, B-E-R-G-E-R, -E Burgers. And they are the children of people who had Dutch or British or Portuguese ancestry. Now, the Portuguese generally are not considered to be a part of Israel, but certainly the Dutch and the British are. The same is the case in South Africa. In India, they actually call people who are interracially uh, married into the Indian uh, population Anglo-Indians. The same is the case in wherever the British had been around the world, or the French. And so there is actually an aspect that we have never really mentioned of those people. Let me tell you a really interesting one. Do you remember in 1492, yes, you will tell me that Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and you're correct. But a more important thing happened in 1492, and that was when the king and queen of Spain ejected all Jews and Muslims out of Spain. If they were not prepared to convert to Catholicism, they were kicked out of Spain at the end of 1492. Those that stayed had to be baptized into the Catholic Church and change their names from, from, Catholic, uh, from Jewish names to Catholic names. So they become Santa Maria or, or what other name that would uh, fit with the Catholic, uh, Spanish Catholic Church. Now, when they continued in their Jewish ways... The Inquisition came into Spain and Portugal at the end of the, at the, end of the, uh, the 16th century and persecuted these people who were actually ethnically Jews. So do you know where they went? They went to the Spanish colonies of Mexico, Central and South America. I've talked to Mr. Hernandez about this, and he most probably has Jewish blood because his ancestors a long time ago got out of Spain to escape the Inquisition. And of course many of them married in with the, the local population. When I was in the Philippines I had uh, a most interesting, read a most interesting article of the same thing happening in the Philippines. In fact there's an island in the Philippines where the people believe that they have a lot of Jewish blood in them. So can you see that when God says that Israel was scattered throughout the world, they didn't all just maintain their, their racial, you might say, purity or identity, but some of them intermarried in with other groups of people. Now, someone has told me, and, I, and look, please 
Now, I've got to be very careful how I word things, but I have heard, and that's, that's as far as it goes, so it's not as if I'm able to quote anything, but some of you might know this, that people with the ending on their name of EZ, sorry, EZ, we say Z for, for Z. So you have Gomez and Martinez and Gonzalez and uh, Hernandez, that that could very well be a link with their Jewish past. Perez is another one. Now, please, don't, uh, in mentioning this, I really don't want to, to say that this is absolutely certain, but it, it could be an interesting aspect of what we're talking about. So God knows where his people are. Let's go to a scripture here in Amos chapter 9. You know, some people think that everyone has to be absolutely racially pure, but God is the one that determines and understands these things. Amos chapter 9, and in verse 9. You know, it's, it's a bit like I said before. People really think that God has, you know, that they've got to do the, the work for him when he says, no, I'll take care of that. So here in Amos, in chapter 9, uh, it says in verse 9, For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations. As grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. So God knows who his people are. So what is the, the outcome that we need to look forward to? Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And verse 3. You know, this is a promise for the future. We don't have to wonder how God is going to do it. He has said it. He will do it. Let's read what it says. Jeremiah 30, verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. Now, you can't get any clearer statement than that. And I will cause them to return the, to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. And uh, he goes on, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to uh, verse 11. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. Chapter 31, now, chapter 31, verse 2. This is after the, after the tribulation and as the millennium just gets underway and Jesus Christ starts to bring back his children of Israel from captivity. Look what it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. What does that mean? That means they came to repentance while they were in captivity. That's why you and I have got to be a part of preaching the gospel so that they will know what repentance is all about. What a privilege we have to be a part of that. And that's why we need to ask God to give us more of his help and strength. Verse, uh, uh, end of verse 2, Israel when I went to give him rest. 
The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be dawned with your tambourines and go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. Let's drop down to verse 8. Behold, I bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Where are the ends of the earth? Do you know? Tierra del, Tierra del Fuego, where Mr. Hernandez was down preaching the gospel. The very tip of southern Africa, in places like Durban, Cape Town, George, Port Elizabeth, we have congregations right there at the ends of the earth. We have people in New Zealand, right down in Invercargill. We have people in the very far north of Canada. We have people all over, and we will continue to preach the gospel so that it reaches the ends of the earth. And so it says here, um, Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child, together a great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. Can you imagine that? People will walk from the very far south of, the, of South America. And he will bring them up beside rivers and bring them through and they will make their way until they come to the nation of Israel. This is all prophesied. Notice what it says in verse 18. This is God's prophecy for Ephraim. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You've chastised me and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me and I will return. For you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning I repented. And after I was instructed, I st struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. And then God answers, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. And when it says Ephraim, because Joseph was the leading tribe of Israel and Ephraim was the head, that includes Ephraim and Manasseh. And it actually includes, therefore, under that umbrella of Joseph, all the tribes of Israel. So this is not just a prophecy for Ephraim. These are the prophecies that are there that we can read. Jeremiah 32, let's have a... Quick look at that one, Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries. This is Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart, and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. So what we've dealt with here is Abraham. We've dealt, dealt with the 12 tribes of Israel. We've talked about at the time of Jesus Christ and James that they were in existence. And now we're reading about 
the, the punishment of Israel and then God saving them and bringing them back. Now, for the pièce de résistance. Revelation, chapter 22. Look at this. Chapter 21, sorry. Revelation 21. Starting in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Now, so this is after the, you know, the, uh, the millennium. After the great white throne judgment. When everything is new and spiritual. Verse 2. Then I, John, saw the, the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, have you ever noticed this next part? You ready? Verse 12. This is talking about the New Jerusalem. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. For eternity, the name Levi joined will be the name of that gate and of Reuben, a son. And of Gad, a troop. And of Joseph. And all of the other tribes. They will be remembered for eternity from a family that fought and squabbled. Isn't that amazing? You know, sometimes we think that we have problems that can never be overcome. Let me tell you. God can sort any problem out. God can turn a cursing into a blessing. God can turn a mess into a tidy house, as we heard in the sermonette. In other words, God loves Israel not for who they are, but for what they're going to become. Let me take the principle. Each one of us here, whether we're from Guatemala or from Philadelphia or from Australia, or wherever we're from, I can tell you something. God can solve our problems when we turn our hearts and our minds to him. And because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh are going to do the same in the kingdom of God, God will use Israel forever and ever and ever.